coming up on The Medicine Podcast. Pain and illness arise when we're playing out old contracts past their expiration date. Yeah, that's so good. That's literally all pain or illness is. I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but 95% of the time, pain and illness is when we're playing out old contracts that have expired. Yeah. And the longer we play them out, the more, you know, mm-hmm. Paul Check says the pain teacher shows up and all it all it is is an invitation to rewrite the contract. Welcome back to The Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi and I'm sitting next to my lover, my best friend, my partner in really everything. (laughs) What is going on, everybody? This is Chase. We are back with one of our favorite people in the entire world for a third time now coming coming in hot. We've got Greg Schmaus. Welcome back to The Medicine Podcast, my friend. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. You got a three-peat. That's right. Third third time's a charm. Yep. Yeah, there's only a few people that have been on this many times and you're you're climbing the leaderboards. <laughs> it's it's an honor. Yeah, we just love we love talking to you as a friend but also getting to be on the other side of something that you're so incredibly tapped in on and that is archetypes. Um we've had a couple different episodes on archetypes. We could really like Someone, I'm sure it's out there, but just entire podcast, every episode about archetypes, because there's so much here. And it's, we were just saying before we pushed record, like, this isn't just a, an abstract concept that's like, oh yeah, that's fun to learn about here and there. It's directly applied into our life on a daily basis. It comes up in conversation with friends between Chase and I on a very regular basis, you know, talking about different archetypes, talking about um, these these themes that are woven into us that want to be expressed or that sometimes are expressed maybe against our will, it feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so we're really excited to to go even deeper with you on this topic. And I hope the listener comes away understanding how... Um, Putting your consciousness around these archetypal themes in your life just sheds so much light and and sometimes can give meaning to situations and circumstances that it almost feels like there is no meaning. Um, yeah, just- totally. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll put the the two prior episodes in the show notes uh, conversations that we've had with Greg around archetypes. The first one was just a, a real high-level preview uh, about Greg's work, his story, how he got into this space, and then uh, a, a general one-on-one as it pertained to some of the survival archetypes, and then this process for casting one's wheel, which when then we followed up with a, a sequel to that episode where we casted our own wheels, went through our unique archetypes as well as our survival archetypes, and uh, really, this is just the the sliver. The sliver, the tip of the iceberg, because this is this is endless. I, I've even gifted friends working with Greg through this archetype process, and it's been just just life changing for them as it has been for us. Mm-hmm. We are constantly having this conversation. Hey, what's the what's the theme here? What's the archetype? What am I stepping into in this different role in this different seat? As we watch movies, we we literally pause the show and say like okay what's the what's the Mm -hmm. archetype here is this yeah what what hat are they wearing what role is this playing what's the myth being manifested into this story um and it all comes back to this conversation around around archetypes and 
And so we're getting it in, into it again today because there's so much meat left on the bone. And Greg has created a program, a really beautiful course that we've gotten a little sneak preview on that will unpack for, for any individual who's going through this program, kind of these seven core archetypes. And uh, so we'll be getting into that today. Um, and let's yeah, dive let's in. in. You know, I, I, I seem to uh, rationalize and, and make sense of archetypes in the sense that we can walk through our life in randomness, seemingly happenstance, step into times in life that seem a little more with the current. Other times it seems like we're walking upstream. And if you would like to have a little bit more why, a little bit more understanding to those different life's circumstances and patterns, having an awareness of archetypes supports that such that you can reorient your sail to the winds that life blows at you, if you will. And so much of this archetype experience can be through transition, can be through different hats that you wear in your life, but a, a general understanding of them can be such a valuable tool that puts anxiety and stresses at ease when you feel that upstream feeling, when you feel like your sails are fighting against the wind instead of with them. And an understanding of this process can really support one's own ability to reorient, to understand the changing circumstances of life mm -hmm. and feel a little bit more like you are a part of a natural uh, cycle, a natural plan that you can potentially learn and grow through. And so that's my little like rationalization and how I really rest in this, this process. Um, but I think it would still be a good exercise to go through generally. What is an archetype? Why is it so important for us to understand? So Greg, I'll pass it to you yeah. and let you get into that. No, I, I appreciate that intro and that background. You know, understanding archetypes is so critical because archetypes are the vehicles that we use to express ourselves. They're the vehicles that we use to engage relationships with. So all relationships with which life is really relationships. So all relationships are contracts and contracts, especially with two people are when two archetypes are coming together to be in relationship with one another, usually for the growth, healing and, and evolution of each individual, right? So you might be in the teacher archetype and someone else is in the student archetype right? There's a contract there. You might be in the archetype of the knight and someone else might be in the archetype of the damsel. And there's a contract there. So anytime you're coming into relationship, there's a contract. And anytime there's a contract, there's two archetypes coming together on one level to get their needs met, but on a deeper level to learn, grow, and evolve in that way. And archetypes are also a great language to use to come to understand yourself and to understand all your patterning. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people ask the question like, I wonder why I always do that. <laughs> or I wonder why I always say that. Or I wonder why I always react in this way. Or, or I, I wonder why I, I attract this type of person. Yeah, exactly. 
And a lot of these, especially survival archetypes and the other three that we'll get into, really help answer that question. And, you know, the the other reason archetypes are so helpful in doing this healing work and exploring these aspects of ourselves in this way is archetypes are universal. So there's not one person that has an archetype that's unique to them. Yeah. Where like you have this archetype and no one else does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you have a victim, a saboteur, a prince, a knight, like whatever it is, everyone has that archetype within them. Everyone that's expressing that archetype is tapping into that same energy, but it's just being expressed in their own unique way. So when you're exploring your inner victim, when you're exploring your inner saboteur or your inner prostitute, which a lot of people tend to shy away from because of the connotation of the word, when you realize, hey, everyone has this, mm -hmm. everyone plays this out, it's just my own unique expression of it, it's almost like more user-friendly. It's mm -hmm. like e easier to explore those aspects of yourself when you realize that it's not really unique to you. Yeah, right. it creates a little bit of distance between yourself, your soul, your higher self, whatever you want to call it, and the expression of whatever it is that you're moving through or navigating or experiencing where, you know, for instance, you know, speaking to like the prostitute or the saboteur, like these have sort of like a negative connotation. And if I am experiencing something or a situation where I am prostituting myself, I could look at that and feel shame. I could judge myself. I could flog myself like, God, why do I always do this? I'm so bad. Or like, haven't I figured this out yet? When, when you view it through the lens of an archetype, it almost creates a little bit of softness, a little bit of distance between you and that thing so that you can take a step back, zoom out, and sort of with curiosity and compassion for yourself, knowing that every other human on earth has every single one of these archetypes potentially, it creates this like, okay, I can reflect without shaming myself or flogging mm -hmm. myself and really um, maybe extract some of the juice, some of the wisdom that is there for you um, uh, separate from the judgment you might have for yourself. Well, I think for others too, right? When you yeah. see patterns playing out in others and people in your life, people that you might care about or people that you maybe rub you the wrong way, you can take one deeper look at it from an archetype lens and go, they're just playing out their survival archetypes. Yeah. I've been there too. Holy shit. Yeah. And even though the literal interpretations or manifestations of those archetypes might look different, you can sit back and go, oh, dude, I've, I've totally been yeah. there. Oh, yeah. my God. Totally. I'm going to have a little more compassion, yeah. more patience, a little more empathy. Yeah, definitely. The empathy sticks out there. Yeah, it creates empathy when you can recognize that the archetype that you're you're frustrated with in that moment also exists in you. And you can think back on when... Yeah. Two years ago, I was deep in that expression of archetype. Yeah. And a couple of things I'll add in there is, like you said, the most important piece is it creates a little space. It creates a little space between you as the conscious awareness and the archetype as the pattern that's being played out. Mm -hmm. And just with that little bit of space, that gives you your free will back. Mm. right because it creates a subject object relationship 
where now you're in relationship with the archetype consciously rather than identifying with it unconsciously. Yeah, that's so good. Then the other piece is when you can see the archetypes in others, you don't take things personally anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you understand archetypes, relationships aren't personal attacks anymore. You can see it archetypally. So that makes you know inner work and relationship work a lot easier when you can see things archetypally rather than personally. Mm-hmm. And there was a third thing. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Okay. Well, one of the things I love about uh, the program that you've developed is is literally in the title. And it's called Healing Your Core Archetypes, which we'll get into today, A Journey to Empowerment. And I love that word empowerment because that is what you step into when you even just begin to understand the basics of these archetypal tools to be applied in one's life. Yeah, I remember what the third thing was now. (laughs) Um, So the, the third piece is to realize that whatever pattern you're acting out, whether it's the saboteur or the prostitute, and you're kind of like beating yourself up over it, to remind yourself that when you understand archetypes and the formative forces of them, you realize that the pattern that I'm acting out today that I'm guilting, blaming, and shaming myself for once served a really critical role for my own survival. Like if I didn't prostitute myself in this way when I was 12, it could have meant my life. Mm -hmm. If I didn't sabotage myself like this when I was nine, it could have been something that was threatening, you know, that was too overwhelming. So you realize that, first of all, every archetype has a light and shadow. The prostitute has just as much light as it does shadow, which we'll get into. And each pattern, especially the shadow roles, they served you well. They kept you alive. They kept you safe. They kept you comfortable. They gave you security. And now the healing journey is the realization of the old contract that kept me safe and secure is now holding me back from experiencing freedom and empowerment. So the healing journey just becomes a renegotiation of contracts, Mm -hmm. right? But the old contract is what you're guilting yourself and shaming yourself over. But when you see the purpose of it and the origin of it, then you can start to let go of it because you've acknowledged the important role that it's played in your life up until this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so key. That's so good. Especially like, you know, when we talk about um, the, the child archetype and that there's multiple different types of the child archetype. So this is uh, a good segue, I think, into, you know, kind of outlining, just giving us uh, a taste of uh, these seven core archetypes that you yeah. talk about in your course. So let's let's get into those. Yeah, so the the four survivals are the ones that we've talked about in our previous episode, but we'll review them. They're the child archetype, the victim archetype, the saboteur, and the prostitute. So the child archetype represents your inner child. It's your sense of playfulness. It's your sense of lightheartedness, your beginner's mind, that inner child in you that just has fresh eyes, having new experiences, deep curiosity, playfulness, creativity. And the child archetype is very often where a lot of your soul's gifts reside. Mm. 
So a lot of the reclamation of your soul's gifts and your sense of purpose is hidden in the child archetype. The shadow expression of the child archetype is the kind of like learnt helplessness, powerlessness, codependency, constantly projecting others as an authority, outsourcing the power of choice, outsourcing self-responsibility. And the child archetype is very often looking for other people's approval for its sense of self. Because remember, the child doesn't yet have an internalized sense of self. So its sense of self is based on the feedback that it gets from the outer world, mm -hmm. which is why a lot of people are still approval driven. It's the child archetype that's not yet fully healed, right? So we have light and shadow of the child. And then every other archetype is built around the child archetype. The child is kind of like the nucleus and everything else is kind of built around it to try and protect and preserve it, right? So the victim archetype is introduced to you the first time that you feel victimized, the first time that you feel like a boundary is being crossed. And the victim archetype all relates to boundaries, right? When you feel like you're a victim of, let's say, physical abuse, there's a physical boundary being crossed. When you feel like you're a victim of emotional abuse, there's an emotional boundary being crossed. So anytime you feel victimized, it's a sense that a boundary is being crossed and I feel unsafe, I feel threatened. So the light side of it is setting boundaries. When you feel unsafe, you take action, you make a change, you get yourself out of that situation. So the empowered victim takes action when it feels victimized. Now, the shadow expression of the victim is where we play the victim to get our emotional needs met. You know, a lot of times we might play this powerless victim role as a way of paradoxically feeling a greater sense of power and control. Mm -hmm. right? There's a paradox there. An example of that would be, you know, the child that, you know, when they're sick, they get more empathy and compassion from their parents. Or when they're sick, one of their parents stays home from work and kind of like tends to their needs. So they feel more loved by them. Right. So the victim archetype is a lot of times how we use a powerless dynamic to kind of manipulate circumstances and other people to get our needs met. And a lot of that kind of comes back to the victim triangle, which we can get into, which is a really powerful concept to understand. But the victim's really about is really about boundaries and our relationship with our own power. The saboteur is the one that most people are aware of and connected to because everyone knows their own patterns of self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. Right? So the saboteur represents our relationship with truth. On a deeper level, the saboteur represents our relationship with higher truth. And the saboteur is the archetype that very often tries to protect us from higher truth because it's sometimes uncomfortable, it's sometimes inconvenient, mm. and sometimes feels threatening to our ego structure. Yeah. Right? Our ego structure is always attached to what feels safe and familiar. But higher truth is very often um, the thing that takes us out of the familiar. It takes us out of our comfort zone. 
and it takes us into the unknown, which is where our potential resides. But for our ego structure, that feels like death, Mm. right? So the saboteur is there to try and like protect and preserve it. And it's also there to paradoxically protect us from our own power. Because the saboteur knows that when you step into your power, everything changes. Like, for example, I spent 30-something years being a chronic people pleaser, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden, I, which chronic people pleasing, you could say, is a form of self-sabotage, right? You're saying yes to things that you want to say no to. You're, you know, making yourself available when you really shouldn't be, like, just things like that. And all of a sudden, you start doing healing work and empowering yourself, and you start saying no to people, you start setting boundaries. And then you realize that a lot of people in your life were in relationship with the old version of you, getting their own needs met through the disempowered version of you. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, now that relationship is turned upside down because that old contract doesn't exist anymore. And the saboteur inside of you says, are you sure you want to step into your power? Because you realize that shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah. And this is uncomfortable. Yeah. Relationships are going to change. Yeah. You know, your work might change because you realize that I don't enjoy the work that I'm doing. I'm just working for money at the expense of my own, my own soul, my own fulfillment. So you realize that when you step into your power, anything that's not a vibrational match anymore gets turned upside down. Yeah. So the saboteur tries to protect you from the inconvenience of that. Mm. Hey friends, did you know that the amount of muscle you have on your body is directly related to overall health and longevity as you age? Generally, people who have a healthy amount of muscle have lower rates of chronic illness like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and are better equipped to deal with acute illness like the flu. This is why Chase and I support the concept of muscle-centric medicine. To build healthy muscle, we need quality sources of protein. In addition to our quality meat, Chase and I also use protein powder to ensure we are getting enough protein each day. Our two favorite protein powders are the plant-based Organifi protein, which is organic, non-GMO, and glyphosate residue-free, and the animal-based whey protein by Keon which is non-GMO and comes directly from grass-fed, pasture-raised cows with no antibiotics and virtually lactose-free. We love and use both daily in smoothies, stirred into yogurt, protein pancakes, and even baked goods. Getting adequate amounts of protein helps us feel satiated, build healthy muscle, recover faster, and maintain optimal body composition year-round. To try Organifi's plant-based protein, go to Organifi.com and use the code MIMIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T, for a hefty 20% off. And for Keon whey protein, go to GetKeon.com and use the code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for 10% off. Or just check the show notes below for the direct link. Cheers to muscle-centric medicine. Yeah. And And you really can see as you're explaining these, you know, going back to something that you said prior, there is a function to these. Like there's a reason why 
you're you are expressing maybe the darker side uh the shadow side of these archetypes there is a function to them and it's yeah. not something to be judged but something to just flip the light on and say like oh okay i see what i was doing there now that i have this awareness i am empowered to make changes and it's going to be difficult but it's ultimately going to mean more growth and evolution for myself. And and hopefully from that, as we continue to make changes that are in vibrational match with where we want to go and, and what we want to experience in life, that accumulated wisdom from turning on the light will hopefully create more love, more abundance, more of a life that we truly love because we're we're actually applying the tools and the knowledge directly to our life to make better decisions. Yeah. 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 And you realize like, you know, a very clear example. So I always like to take these archetypal concepts and show you how this shows up in a practical real life situation. Yeah. All right. So let's say you grew up in a childhood environment where sitting at the dinner table, there was a lot of like volatile conversation, you know, maybe like really strong personalities. And there was a lot of debate arguments, things like that. And you take someone like myself who grew up very quiet, very empathic, very sensitive. Speaking my truth at the dinner table, maybe didn't always feel safe. Because if I felt like I was speaking my truth, I might open myself up to attack, mm -hmm. right? So as a child, there's a part of me that says, Greg, don't speak your truth. You know, it's not safe. Remember what happened last time when you spoke up about something and then all of a sudden you got attacked by so-and-so, right? So now I develop this pattern of self-censorship and the saboteur in me says, don't speak your truth. It's not safe. Mm. Right? Yeah. Well, happening a lot in our world right now. Yeah. Yeah. So what I've had to work through in my own life and my own patterns of self-sabotage is there's a difference between mindful communication and self-censorship. Mm. And the empowered version of me steps into mindful communication in which I'm speaking my truth, but I'm also aware of how it might be received by the listener. Mm. Yeah. That's different, but that's different than the saboteur in me that says, don't speak your truth. It's not safe. Remember what happened last time. Right. Yeah. So that's the development of my own voice and my own expression and how the saboteur might relate to an experience I had in childhood which the truth is most of these survival archetypes formed by the time you were 10 years old, right? And all it really relates to is what did I have to do and who did I have to be to feel safe and to get my survival needs met? Yeah. Remember, they're survival archetypes, so they all relate back to your sense of safety, your sense of security. And as a child, when you're sense of safety, security, and survival is still totally dependent on someone or something outside of you, like a mother or father figure, then always being yourself might not always feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. all the archetypes become like your inner child survival team. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's so good. It made me think of uh, the quote. I have to think about it for a second, but I think Gabor Mate talks about this, um, whether you're a child or expressing some version of the child archetype. If if it's a question between love, safety and connection with safe, you know, family members, mother, father and your authenticity, we, the child, will forego or sacrifice authenticity to always, every single time to, to feel loved, to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel connected. And you're, you're turning off portions of yourself or dimming portions of yourself or amplifying portions of yourself that maybe aren't authentic just to feel connected because yeah, I mean, it, it is such a core, core fundamental value as a child uh, to or need, I should say, to feel loved, connected, and safe. Well, I've even seen it in less like childhood, like literal childhood, but when I was a child in my career and mm-hmm. I was very new to a space, I would say yes to anything because I wanted the experience. Mm-hmm. I would work the long hours because I believed that I had the energy to do it and wanted the reps so that I could grow and climb at the organization. Um, and there would be times where I, you know, wanted to blame my boss and I think it was completely justified. But as those evolve and as you grow in your career, those start to feed into these more, more shadow versions of those archetypes. You get to a point where you have enough experience that you don't need the grunt work, the, the granular level work. You're actually ready for more higher level strategy, people management and things of that nature. But if you continue to say yes to that level of work because somebody, your authority figure, your boss, your manager, whatever, continues to ask that you do them because you've done them so well, you will begin to trickle into this toxic version of of the saboteur where you are sabotaging your own further success up the career scale by going back and doing the work that you were doing Mm -hmm. in your first year or two. Mm -hmm. And same with prostituting. Okay, I'm going to do something I don't like for a while because it's going to get me what I need from an experience standpoint in order to take the next step. But if yeah. you keep having to go back and do those things, you're only going to be, you know, capping yourself and hitting the ceiling. And so it's like there's these different sort of phases of life too mm-hmm. outside of the literal childhood where I've at least seen them in, in yeah. my career, for instance, show up and, and surface. And I'm like, wow, if I continue to enable this, I'm going to be stuck in this a uh, shadow version of these survival archetypes and not mature onto a, a version mm-hmm. that will be more helpful to me. Yeah, and we've kind of arrived upon the essence of what the healing journey is. And the healing journey is two things. It's Mimi what you said about when Gabor Mate spoke about love, connection and safety over authenticity where the healing journey is really the return back to authenticity mm-hmm. with the realization that what I've been doing in the name of love, connection, and safety is not serving me anymore. Yeah, It's keeping me safe, comfortable, and connected to what's familiar, but it's not deeply fulfilling on a soul level. Mm-hmm. And pain and illness arise trying to get our attention saying, hey, look, you are not being authentic. Mm-hmm. You're doing what you needed to do as a child to feel safely connected and get your needs met, but you're past that. You're not a child anymore. So the pain is the feedback mechanism showing us exactly what 
patterns we're still playing out and what we're being called to step into, which is really just the hero's journey of returning back to our authenticity. Yeah. And then, Chase, what you were saying is so true where pain and illness arise when we're playing out old contracts past their expiration date. Yeah, that's so good. Right? That's literally all pain or illness is. I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but 95% of the time, pain and illness is when we're playing out old contracts that have expired. Yeah. And the longer we play them out, the more, you know, mm-hmm. Paul Check says the pain teacher shows up. And all it all it is is an invitation to rewrite the contract. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. so good. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna meditate on that. I'm gonna yeah. ask myself often: Has this contract expired? Yeah. That's a language that really works for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we see it, you know, in conversation around relationship all the time, like conscious yeah. partnership, all mm-hmm. the time, and and we get messages and questions from people where it's like we're not on the same page anymore. What am I supposed to do here? I am on this healing journey or this, you know, journey of finding higher levels of consciousness or just self-development in general. And my partner wants nothing to do with it or thinks it's silly or whatever. They're, they're out of resonance. And what might've been a contract that was serving them in, in the earlier years of their relationship is not actually serving them anymore. And I think that that can be really jarring for people where it's like, wait, is this even is this even my person now? And of course, you can work through those. I think, but it it helps so much when you have this at least fundamental, just baseline knowledge of archetypes, and again, just kind of softens the blow of those realizations or those those uh, worn out or expired contracts. Maybe having an understanding of the archetypes could help you move through that better. And maybe it's not that this person isn't right for you. It's like, actually, let's reorient. Let's renegotiate our contract together, Our the archetypes that we're expressing together. Any thoughts on that? My thought will be, I'll share my own life experience with how some of these deep contracts show up in relationship. So, you know, I've been in relationship with my partner for about four and a half years. And on our fourth anniversary, I asked her a question. I said, what do you think the greatest gifts that we've offered each other are? Mm. And my answer to her was the greatest gifts that you've offered me are essentially that you can hold me in my deepest, darkest moments with unconditional love. And you can also simultaneously hold me up to my highest potential Mm. and not give me a break or a way out. Mm. Yeah. And I realized that my mother could hold me in my deepest vulnerability, but would always give me, like, cut me some slack. Mm. My dad would always hold me accountable to my potential but was not able to meet me in my vulnerability. Mm. So what she represented to me was the highest expression of the mother archetype that I was in relationship with as as a child, the highest expression of the father archetype that I was in relationship with as a child, and the missing pieces she brought together as one. Mm. And there was an archetypal contract for me to be in relationship with that 
So now I can learn how to show up for myself in that way. Mm. So it's almost like each one of us is like an incomplete puzzle. And each person we're in relationship with represents a missing puzzle piece that we kind of put back into ourselves to reach a state of wholeness. And that's an example of how that showed up in my partnership. Mm-hmm. Now, I was exploring this on even a deeper level, which, you know, in my partnership with her, when she and I got together, she was um, going through a divorce. So there was like a deep grieving process that she was going through. And I was, I was walking through that with her. And now more recently, there's been, you know, sending children off to school, you know, special needs child, and a deep grieving process that I'm, I've been walking alongside her. And I was exploring this the other day. I'm like, I wonder like what the contract here is. Like, is it my purpose or my archetypal makeup to show up for someone that's going through a deep loss or a deep grieving process? And all of a sudden I realized that I was born in November 91 and my mom's father passed away in March 91. Mm. which is literally as he was on his way out, I was on my way in. Mm. And as I came into this lifetime was a moment in my mom's life when she was going through the deepest grieving process Mm. of her journey to date. And my introduction into this physical world was a mother who's going through a deep grieving process. Wow. And I realized that on a soul level, part of my contract was to be a container for the feminine healing journey, which a lot of times is the vulnerability of grief. Mm. And that's something that's almost very familiar to me because it's what I came into this lifetime experiencing and holding for somebody. So Mm. a lot of these archetypal contracts were written well before you came into this lifetime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you didn't always sign them consciously or rationally. That's different than you saying, I want to be an accountant. And I'm going to take this job as an accountant. And you're like, I'm playing out the accountant archetype. Yeah. 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 You know, so you could see how a lot of these archetypal contracts are very deep patterns that, um, are all very purposeful in why people come together. Yeah. 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 I love that. The concept of the sacred contracts, which we've talked about in our previous episodes with you, um, the, the teachings of Caroline Mace and, and, uh, her book of sacred contracts is so good. And it just, you hear some of these truisms and they just, for me, at least just like resonate on such a deep level where you hear it. And I'm like, Oh, of course. Of course, that makes sense where it just like sinks into your being right away, almost like a puzzle piece, like snapping into place. And uh, yeah, it really is is helpful for these big things, these big events that come into our life. I think if we can take a step back and, um, you know, just just admire and observe what's going on, what are some of these different themes at play? 
Which uh, leads me to a question that isn't on our list, but um, I'm just thinking it through. When someone is going through or navigating a difficult circumstance, whatever the circumstance may be, do you have any like go-to questions for yourself that allow you to see the bigger themes and bigger archetypes that you might be be uh, invited into um, uh, observing or working through or just contemplating? Like, do you have a set of questions for yourself? I'm I'm trying to give the listeners some sort of self-reflection process that they can put themselves through in an instant or a, a situation of of difficult circumstance. Like if someone's going through a divorce or a yeah. change of career or some sort of big life transition or mm-hmm. um, challenge, I would say those moments are very often times in your life where you're releasing an old pattern. You're letting go of an old identity. You're releasing an old version of yourself that was attached to a certain role which all relates to archetypes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I've, you know, I've been going through a lot of these things in my own life recently. So I can share what's been supportive for me is, you know, number one, everything in life is bound to change. Yeah. Right. If you kind of just in a meditative way, explore your body right now, everything in your body is moving and changing, right? Your cells turn over every year. Your breath, your heartbeat, your digestive system, everything's constantly moving. Your emotional state is constantly moving and changing. You know, one moment you're happy, another moment you're sad, then you're grieving, then you're joyful. So there's movements there. Your mental state is constantly changing. You have one moment you have a busy mind and it's really active with a lot of thoughts. Next moment it's quiet, it's still, and you go from thought to thought. So there's a beginning and an end point, constant change and movement. Environment, the same thing. Relationships, people coming in and out, the same thing. So the first thing that's been really important for me is to always get quiet enough in myself that within all of the change and movement to connect to the awareness inside of me that's unchanging and unmoving, Mm. right? Which is just silent awareness that you arrive at in meditation. Hey friend, by now I think most of us realize that our earth needs our support more than ever. Sadly, most of the usable soil on earth has been degraded into lifeless dust by conventional farming's overuse of glyphosate and pesticides. This is a big problem for not only us, but even bigger problem for our kids' generation. Chase and I's favorite way to support the earth is by supporting the regenerative farmers who use methods that do not degrade the soil, but builds robust, rich, biodiverse soil. Every month we receive our meat subscription box from Wild Pastures that provides a wide variety of meat, chicken, sausage, pork, beef, and even organ meats if we want. These are the best prices we have found on meat that's organic, pasture-raised, and sourced from regenerative farmers. And boxes are completely customizable to fit your family's needs. 
With Wild Pastures, you're not only supporting your family's health with the highest quality meat, you're also supporting future generations and our earth, our home. Now, Wild Pastures is giving you 20% off your subscription and free shipping for life. Just check the show notes below for our direct link and start building your first box. Enjoy. Right. And following the breath is the most important, is, is the not most important, easiest way to get there. Right. Because the breath is constantly moving and it's constantly changing, going from inhale to exhale and then from exhale back to inhale. So when you're following the breath, you're watching something that's constantly moving and changing from an unmoving, unchanging awareness. Mm. Right. And when you can anchor yourself in that, then you can move through change a lot easier. Right. Mm. But when you're overly attached to everything that's bound to change and move, that's when there's more suffering. Mm. Yeah. And the other piece, you know, over the summer, I was up at the Omega Institute with Matt Kahn at one of his retreats. And he said something really powerful. He said, you know, life begins to get easier when you're willing to surrender your way for life's way. Hmm. And I realized how much of the stress and pain in my life happens when I'm attached to my way, which very often is going against life's way. And when you realize that life's way, although it's very often going against your way, which is all your expectations, you realize that life's way is always working for you. It's always working to move you in the direction of your highest potential, which often involves devastating your ego. Yeah. <laughs> and you realize that anything that's limiting your soul's expansion, life has a target on it. Life is ready to annihilate anything inside of you that is limiting your soul's expansion, mm -hmm. that is limiting your experience of yourself as divinity, mm. that's limiting you stepping into your own power. And the ego is really attached to my way, my expectations, my attachments, what feels safe and comfortable for me. And a lot of times when there's an upheaval in your life and it feels really uncomfortable and it feels like you're just getting the shit kicked out of you, it's because that's what's happening. Yeah. Life is trying to annihilate everything in you and around you that's limiting your expansion. God, mm. and so good. And it doesn't care. It doesn't care about money. No. It doesn't care about what's convenient for you. <laughs> yeah. It's so and good. That's what, that's what these survival archetypes try and protect you from. Mm. These survival archetypes say, I need to protect you from being annihilated. But your soul says annihilation is exactly what you need because the only thing that's being annihilated is your ego. Mm -hmm. But the survival archetypes think that the annihilation means your life. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. But there's a difference there. Yeah, it reminds me of the the quote that Paul always talks about. I think it's Carl Jung, maybe, um, where he says, religion's function is to protect you from the experience of God. Yes. And it's it's the same concepts where it's like this thing that isn't really serving you anymore had a role in protection from expansion all at once. And so it almost has to happen in little bits, piece by piece by piece over time that unfold as the events of our life. Yeah. Yeah. It's the wetsuit that keeps you from the cold water, just a little bit warmer. Yeah. But if you want radical healing through the, through cold exposure, yeah. you need to get rid of the wetsuit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we have one more uh, survival archetype to talk about. I don't think we the got to the, the prostitute. prostitute. Yeah. So the prostitute is our relationship with self-esteem, right? So we prostitute ourselves when we're in a place of low self-worth, right? This results in patterns of self-compromise. This relates in patterns of compromising our values, our integrity. And it all relates back to our fears of physical survival, right? The prostitute inside of us is always trying to ensure a guarantee, right? A guaranteed outcome, a guaranteed paycheck, guaranteed security, right? The prostitute's always looking for the guarantee. Like when I was 12 years old, my mom would give me money to go to the movies with friends. And it would be like, say like $10. And back then a movie ticket was, I don't know, three or four dollars. And I remember buying my friend's movie tickets. And at the time I was like, oh, I'm being, you know, a kind, friendly, generous person. Wasn't even my money. And my mom always wondered like I, why I didn't have change. But looking back, doing some of this archetypal work, I realized that what I was doing was I was buying their loyalty. Mm. I was buying guaranteed loyalty. Where is that coming from? Low self-esteem. I didn't think that they would want to be friends with me just for me. So I was buying an insurance policy. Mm. That's an example of the prostitute literally at 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the prostitute is who do I have to be to ensure a guarantee? And that could show up like in relationship, emotionally, socially, it could show up, you know, working a job that you don't enjoy, but it pays well. So you have the guaranteed paycheck. So you're going against your values. You're going against your integrity, always trying to ensure a guaranteed outcome. So healing the prostitute is working with that aspect of you and how it's in relationship with your intuition. Right, your intuition might say, go be a musician. And then the prostitute says, yeah, well, you're getting a good paycheck being an accountant. So that's not a good idea. Right. So there's constant negotiation going on with the prostitute archetype. And, you know, this could show up like for me, a lot of times it might show up in my spiritual practice if I'm not careful. You know, how much of people's prayer practice is an act of negotiation with God? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, God, please, I want this outcome. And I promise if you give me this, I won't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have people like used 
the prostitute in their own prayer practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it. You know, which I've done a million times. Yeah, of course. Um, I still do it. Like I grew up that way in Christianity. You're you're almost taught to negotiate that way, where it's like, hey, yeah. tell God you're going to give up, you know, whatever for Lent. Like the entire act of Lent is a negotiation and i still do that where i'll be like oh man i need to stop um all right this this is my you know daily journal or something where it's like i'm gonna give this up almost in this transactional way not because it's my choice but because i'm hoping that it adds like you know some something to the karma bucket the good karma vibes. yeah 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 it's really funny i i grew up in a jewish family and um i have some clients locally here that own a pharmacy Mm. and you know, on Yom Kippur, Jews are supposed to fast for uh, 24 hours. And that means no food, no beverages. So a lot of Jews like who drink coffee, they have to give up coffee for, you know, the 24 hours and they get the headache and things like that. So my clients who own this pharmacy in a kind of like a big Jewish area, they literally make almost $8,000 in one day selling um, caffeine suppositories. Oh my God. <laughs> because the Jews negotiate, they're uh, classic negotiators, yeah. saying, well, you know, I'm not supposed to drink coffee, but maybe if I go up the backside, then yeah. maybe God's <laughs> not looking over there. Yeah, that's right. You know, hilarious. It's, it's like heavy. the classic negotiation with uh, God. But, um, the light side of the prostitute is knowing your worth and knowing when you're willing to negotiate, but you're doing it from a place of empowerment, not from a place of fear. Yeah. Mm. Like, for example, if you said to me, Greg, I want to set up a coaching session with you. And I was like, sure. When would you like to do that? And you say, how about Thursday at 3 a.m.? <laughs> I would say, no, I'm not available at that time because I value my sleep at that time. But then you say, I will give you $40,000 for that one session. <laughs> I would say, I'll see you at 245. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the prostitute in me that kind of like knows his price, knows when it's a good deal, yeah, knows his worth and sees a fair transaction there. That's actually the empowered version of the prostitute. Mm. So you realize that these archetypes are not good or bad. It's just, are you expressing it from an empowered conscious place? Or are you doing it from an unconscious disempowered place? Yeah. Yeah. That's rooted in fear. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good uh I love that example because like you said it's not good or bad it's like how how we're choosing to move through life and it's not that we can never be transactional it's just being able to mm, use discernment and know when it's a good deal and make it like yeah this is this is going to be great okay now I'm excited to get up at 2:30 in the morning and we're going to hit it hard rather than the the previous example that you gave. I, I love those little nuggets where we can pin it into real life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really helpful because honestly, like I said at the beginning, these conversations can come up every single day. They do oh, yeah. for Chase and I all the time. And I'm so grateful for having Greg's guidance in this and then also just our own curiosity 
so that we don't need to jump on a Zoom call with Greg every time we want to have a conversation about archetypes. It, you, you like laid this foundation for us by casting our wheel and coming on the podcast and everything. It's like you helped us light this fire of um, realization. And then now we get to play in it every single day and grow individually yeah. and together moving through these archetypes and their understandings. And it's just, it's a really fun way to move through life. Yeah. And that was a great, uh, not only just recap and refresh, but I think very additive and and evolved the conversation with the survival archetypes. Uh, we've got our child, uh, we've got our victim, our saboteur, and our prostitute. And so now I think it'd be awesome to move into these other three of the seven core archetypes that you outline uh, in the course. Yeah. So the next two are the mother and father. And these are huge because these are the formative forces that develop our inner masculine, our inner feminine, and our inner parenting, right? So the mother archetype is your relationship with your inner feminine. It's your relationship with other people's feminine energy. And it's your relationship with other women. So anything that you haven't healed with your mom, you're going to project onto other women. Mm. Anything that you haven't healed with your dad, you're going to project onto other men. Yep. Like, for example, growing up, I had a very close relationship with my mom. With my dad, he was a great provider, and I love him deeply, but we weren't as close, like, emotionally, as connected in that way. So when I started my coaching practice, for the first seven years, 80% of my clients were women. And then I started healing my relationship with my dad, and he and I are very close. I started having some new challenges with my mom, mm. and all of a sudden, 80% of my clients were men. Wow. Oh, my God. So the mother and father archetype is really the foundation of your relationship with masculine and feminine. And whatever you haven't healed in those regards, you project onto those relationship dynamics. Now... On a deeper level, what we explore in the course is how did you feel received by your mother? That sets the stage for how you receive yourself. Mm. Mm. And an example I'll give in my own life is I take my relationship with my body. And my mother was very loving, super attentive sometimes a little bit too much where there was like the smothering rescuing energy. And I noticed that when I look at my relationship with my mom and ask myself, like, what did I really need there? Well, I needed a little room to breathe, to go through my own process without her constant like intervention. Mm. Mm. And I look at my relationship with my body. And any time that I have symptoms or discomfort in my body, there's a part of me that's so quick to get in there and say, okay, what food did I eat? What do I need to do differently? Is there a supplement I need to take? Is there emotion I need to clear? Is there kind of like that kind of like anxious, hovering, smothering mother energy that's there to eradicate any problem in a moment's notice? Where if I ask myself, what does my body need from me? Well, it needs the same space and the same room to breathe 
to go through its own process and do what it already knows how to do without my constant interference, Mm. which was the same dynamic that I had with my mom as a child. Mm. So I realized that I was mothering my body the same way that she was mothering me. And what was needed with the space and room to breathe with my mom was exactly what I now need to give my body. Mm. Right. So an example of how the mother archetype is so powerful in the ways in which we mother ourselves, the ways in which we receive ourselves and how that related to how we were mothered and received by her. Now, the father archetype is a little bit different. The father archetype, the way in which we receive, we were received by him actually sets the stage for how we think we're going to be received by the outer world. Mm. So mom can relate more to our inner life and dad relates more to how am I going to be received by the world outside of me? For example, my dad was all about like achievement and accomplishment, not about emotion or vulnerability. So for most of my life, I wanted to share my achievements with the world And I would compartmentalize or shelve anything that was emotional or vulnerable. Because the the child in me said, what dad wasn't able to receive, the world will not be able to receive. Mm, So part of the healing journey is realizing that the way dad received me is nowhere near and not a reflection of the way the world is going to receive me. Right? So that's, part of what the father archetype healing process looks like. And then it all goes back to the inner parenting styles. Hey friend, quick question. Are you on your path of self-discovery and development, but find yourself wishing you had more people around you doing the same? Maybe you've made strides in your own evolution, but wish you had more of a robust community of conscious individuals. I get it. One thing that was sorely missing in Chase and I's marriage was a positive, conscious community. We were lonely and it really started to affect us negatively. For the last three and a half years, Chase and I have been attending workshops at Paul Check's home in Rainbow, California. Paul Check is an internationally renowned holistic health, fitness, and personal development expert. No teacher or mentor has contributed more to our life and personal evolution than Paul Check. Each workshop is completely unique. Painting and art therapy, archetypes and symbols, breathwork and cold plunge, sound healing, dream interpretation, tarot, and so many more. They have had a profound effect on Chase and I individually in our relationship together and the future we are creating. These workshops are always filled with new material for my soul, incredible professionally cooked organic meals, and the people we meet from all over the world are truly mind-blowing. Attending in person is best, but if you can't get away to California, Paul offers the majority of workshops online as well. We are personally inviting you to come hang out with us, learn from Paul, stretch your mind, and build your community of aligned conscious souls. To see the schedule and register for an upcoming workshop, you can find the direct link in the show notes below, or you can always DM me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine to learn more or ask questions. We hope to see some of you there and get to hug you in person. Cheers.
You know, what did I need from my mother, but never receive? What did I need from my father, but never receive? How can I be that to myself now? And in the course, there's a lot more dynamics in terms of our relationship with our feminine energy, our relationship with our masculine energy. But those are some of like the real key nuggets that most people aren't as consciously aware of in how the mother and father archetypes show up in their life. Um, the third archetype, which is the seventh, which is the final one is the Imago Dei. And the Imago Dei is, you could say the most important archetype because it's the one that informs all else there. It's the one that informs all the other archetypal patterns. And the Imago Dei is the image of God that you hold within yourself. Mm. So whatever you see as God will inform every other archetype. For example, if you see God as this male father figure up in the sky, that keeps you in the child archetype. If you feel that God is this being that's going to punish you or do you know, harm to you if you do something bad or like whatever, it's going to keep you in the victim archetype. If you have this transactional relationship with God where you still have this childish belief system that if I do something good, I deserve a reward. And if I do something bad, I deserve a punishment. That will always set you up for the victim archetype. Because what happens when you do something good and you don't get the reward that you were looking for? You feel like a victim. Mm -hmm. What happens when you get a unwanted or undesirable experience or outcome, but you can't find something that you did to deserve that? You feel like a victim, right? So you see how our relationship with God sets the stage for all these other archetypes. If we have certain ideas as to what God wants or needs from me or doesn't want or doesn't need from me, that's going to set the stage for the saboteur. Right. Or if we feel as though, like we talked about earlier, we can use prayer as a form of negotiation with God. You know, please give me this. I promise if you do that, I won't do this in return. There's the prostitute archetype in relationship to God. Then we take the mother and father. It's very common for us to project our mother and father's qualities onto God because from a very young age, we were taught that God is a parent. Yeah. Right? So we project our parental archetypes onto God. So you see how whatever our relationship with God is literally informs every other archetype that you act out or play out in every area of your life. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah I've never now, thought about it that way. Now, as it pertains to the way that you carry or look at God, if that's changed over the course of your life, where would you pinpoint that? You know, I grew up Christian, and so I had this kind of adopted idea of God the Father. Um, I've spent times in my life where I questioned if there was a God at all, or that that it was this energy of randomness, intelligent randomness. Um, and now it's, you know, ever-evolving, but it's it's more along the lines of this divine being that a fraction of which lives in all of us and it's this ever mystery that we can explore that includes love but also despair and pain and and so where would you kind of pinpoint that for the for the practice of this exercise 
um, as it pertains to where and when in our life we've defined God? Yeah, I mean, in the course, I take people back to their original introduction. Because what you are introduced to from a young age, that's the most powerful imprint. Yeah. Right? So, like, for me, my relationship with God has evolved tremendously over the years with a lot of meditation, plant medicine, inner work. But I would be fooling myself if I said there wasn't still some little imprint from my childhood that's oh, yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah. You know, where I'm still projecting parental ideas onto God, wanting to please God, wanting to, you know, be the good little boy, like that's still there. So it's an ever evolving process of healing those imprints. So it's not something that we want to try and rush the process of, but the awareness of it is super helpful. And the awareness of how this imprint then directly connects to this archetype, right? How this imprint of what God is directly connects to how my victim shows up when I feel victimized in life, where I self-sabotage, right? Is it that I'm always saying yes to people because, you know, my idea of unconditional love is just pleasing everybody? Um, is it my idea that if I martyr myself, then at the end of the day, when I die and go to heaven, there's going to be some spiritual reward, yeah. some payout, or I'm gaining some spiritual brownie points by martyring myself the way, you know, let's say Jesus did, mm -hmm. right? Jesus archetypally represents the martyr archetype, but the highest expression of it, Yeah, right? Jesus didn't martyr himself with any anger or resentment for doing so. He didn't feel victimized by it. He knew who and what he was. So the death of the physical body didn't mean anything to him. You know, so the sacrifice of that, whatever story you believe, um, that's the representation of the light aspect of the martyr. But how many people take that story and express aspects of the shadow martyr which is I'm always doing for everyone else. I don't have enough time for myself. Now I feel victimized, resentful, and I'm just waiting for my spiritual payout. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you really look honestly in your life, you can see these imprints and how there's a little breadcrumb trail to all the other archetypes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is fascinating. I want to go back to the mother and father archetypes. For, yeah. Um, I would imagine these trickle into many lanes, but two that come up would be relationship and romantic partnership. Mm -hmm. And then quite literally stepping into being a mother or a father um, in your own life when, when you yeah. decide to start a family. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about how those, those work. Yeah. So if we're, if we're in a heterosexual relationship and a man is in relationship with a woman, if that man hasn't fully healed his mother archetype, he's on some level going to see his partner as his mother and vice versa. So if a woman hasn't fully healed aspects of her father archetype, she's going to see aspects of her partner as her father. And anytime you project another, anytime you project someone as a parent archetype, it keeps you in the child archetype. Mm. 
Yeah. Right. Because that's the archetypal contract, right? Parent and child go together. Right. So if you're projecting, if I'm projecting my partner as the mother, I'm not going to fully step into my power because there were times in which stepping into my power as a child disrupted my relationship with my mom in some way. Mm. Right. So maybe. Like I said, my mom was going through a deep grieving process as a child, and it was my job to caretake her and make sure that I don't trigger any of her, um, trigger any more pain or discomfort than I think she's able to handle. Well, if I'm in relationship to my partner now and always tiptoeing around, making sure I'm not triggering any pain or discomfort that I don't think that she can handle, that's once again a program of my child archetype seeing her as the mother archetype. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the patterns that create stress or keep us inauthentic in intimate relationship are usually aspects of a child archetype, mother or father archetype dynamic that hasn't been fully resolved. I just had a thought, you know, I've never made this connection before, but I'm, I'm wondering, and I don't know if it's true. I'm just kind of mentally digesting this. You know, we talk about love languages a lot on the show yeah. and understanding your own love languages, how you give love, how you receive love and how your partner gives and receives. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, the, the mother and father archetype that we interact with as a, as, a, as children, how that shapes and forms our top tier love languages. Because, you know, the reason why I'm thinking of this is, you know, as you're speaking to whatever is unhealed with your father, you're going to project onto your partner. And I, as a child, was was constantly wanting my dad to to think I was smart and to like love me more. <laughs> and I would receive attention when I would get straight A's. I would get, you know, $5 an A. He would praise me and he would want to sit down and do homework with me. Um, but he really wasn't able to be there emotionally for me and yeah. to like to to inspire me, to encourage me with his words and speak to my inner value. So I was constantly like does my dad love me? Does he think I'm beautiful? Am I worthy? Yeah. Like I was waiting for that. And, you know, now I I can see similarities where when Chase, you know, high up there for me is words of affirmation. When, when Chase shares these words, loving words of affirmation, it like soothes me and it makes me think like, am I wanting that from him because I didn't receive it as a child from my dad? And is that something that's just part of my makeup and, and it's okay and just be aware of it and when it maybe is out of balance or is it something that I need to look at deeper and heal with my father archetype such that I can take that pressure off of Chase? Mm. I think there's a balance there. I think there's on, on one end just acknowledging I really feel loved when I receive these you know words of affirmation. And that's awesome, you know, and just to fully own that and embody that and balance that with making sure that we're not dependent on that for us to feel loved. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, I love when you affirm what I'm doing, how I look, whatever it is, but I'm also able to affirm that for myself too. 
mm-hmm. you know, but it still feels really good when it comes from you. So I'm also very careful with like overanalyzing yeah. <laughs> and constantly like going back and trying to do more inner work, yeah. you know, scratching at old wounds right. and rather than just like being fully honest with what feels good, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times we can get into so much self-judgment around some of these things. Like I was working with a client recently who was in a marriage for many years that she didn't feel very connected to, but um, the partner she was with was paying for her education. And so she was kind of like beating herself up over like playing out the prostitute of like staying in a relationship for like the financial gain. And that she stepped out of integrity and that she, you know, needs to own up to it, which like, sure, like we want to take responsibility for our choices and all that. But I asked her like, well, how do you think that like served you? Like what need was getting met there? And what do you think like the origin of that was? So she immediately realized that, you know, her father walked out when she was like, you know, a few years old. And she would see him like infrequently. And whenever she would see him, there wasn't a lot of like deep connection, but he would literally give her a credit card and say, go into this store and buy yourself 10 outfits. Mm. And that was how she felt loved by him. So her first marriage was someone that was funding in her education, paying for something that was important to her. And there wasn't a lot of other connection there. But it was obviously very safe and familiar to how she felt loved by her father as a child. So as soon as she saw that, she was able to have more compassion for herself as to why maybe she stayed in that dynamic longer than she may have wanted to. Which that was really how her inner child still felt connected to her father. And it was the only source of love from the male figure that she had ever known you know so with that then there's there's a little bit less self-judgment and you can kind of let yourself off the hook but still take ownership yeah yeah Yeah, i feel that i feel that i in my like when i just feel into my heart or my intuition it doesn't necessarily feel like something that i need to go in deep and you know have a ceremony and like unearth and heal this part of me or whatever i just i had never connected the dots with love languages uh like the specific love languages and the mother father archetypes um and i think it's just kind of an interesting thought experiment you know kind of just observing where that could have originated from but it's it may not be necessarily something that i need to go in and fix or change it may just be an aspect of my early like my early imprint that I can just be aware of and in my communication with Chase you know not let it get the best of me or not let it affect my sense of self but still be able to communicate like yeah I love I love when you tell me those types of things it really it means a lot to me it's not necessarily something that needs to be fixed yeah and the the biggest question that we always want to ask ourselves with the mother and father archetype is In my relationship with my mom, who did I have to be? In my relationship with dad, who did I have to be? Yeah. Is it I had to, you know, not express my emotions? 
I had to, maybe I had to tell white lies because I didn't feel like they had the bandwidth to handle the truth. Mm. That's something I've had to heal in my own life is the ways in which I told white lies to my mom or dad to protect them and myself from maybe the emotional reactivity that I knew was going to follow. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So now I have to ask myself, where am I still telling white lies thinking that this person can't handle the truth that I'm afraid to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's all, who did I have to be in relationship to each one of them? And how is that still showing up in my life today? Mm. Mm. I would love uh, your thoughts around how the specific child archetype, you know, we didn't really go into them, but I think it's like the nature child, Mm. magical child, orphan child. And there's a few more. I think there's like six. Um, Depending on what your specific child archetype expression was, um, is is there a relationship, like a direct relationship to the type of mother that you become or the type of father that you become like what is that connection there for instance chase chase's archetype uh, for the child is uh orphan Orphan, child just figuring Mm -hmm. things out on his own he was a middle child just like i'm gonna do it myself he had great parents but who loved him but it was like all right i can just do this on my own and you've carried that through you know certain parts of your life always is i'll just do it on my own and so I, we were just kind of having conversation before the the podcast, like, yeah, how does how would that inform maybe how you will be or show up as a father and vice versa for me, mm-hmm. my nature child is the one that I resonated with most. Um, and how could that potentially affect how I show up as a mother? Do you have any insight there? Yeah, it can show up in a couple of ways. There's a couple of options. Um, or possibilities. If we take the orphan child with Chase, for example, you know, I've worked with fathers that have the orphan child and sometimes it shows up in their marriage of, I always feel like I'm doing it alone. I don't feel like I have partnership here, which obviously is sometimes true, but sometimes our internal narrative You know, if you take the gifts of the orphan child, it's your independence. So you could say that one of the gifts that you have to offer your children is to be there for them, but to teach them independence. Mm. So you're not teaching them independence by being absent. Mm -hmm. You're teaching them independence by teaching them how to take care of themselves, but proactively and presently. Um. What you would probably want to, what a lot of people have to be aware of is the very common pattern of, you know, the child archetype felt wounded by their parents in some way. You know, with the orphan child, it might be abandonment, right, or neglect. And a lot of times when we have children, the inner parent in us says, I'm going to be the exact opposite of what my parents were to me, right? Right? I'm never going to be like this because my mom or dad was like this and it was really painful. Hey friend, how many of us at some point in our journey have thought we had to give up coffee 
in order to be healthier. I definitely have. But I learned that it wasn't the coffee that was making me feel crappy. It was the 92% of coffee beans that are covered in pesticides, glyphosate, and microscopic mold. I'm glad that didn't last long before I found my holy grail of healthy coffee, King Coffee. This is a combination of organic, mold-free, pesticide-free coffee and reishi mushroom spores, which supports every system in my body. Circulatory, endocrine, cardiovascular, immune, nervous system, and more. It's even anti-parasitic. Switching to King Coffee has honestly been one of the best decisions I've ever made for my overall health. To learn more about King and level up your coffee experience, go to themedicinemedicin.com forward slash coffee, themedicine.com forward slash coffee. All right. Enjoy. Cheers and love. So we almost have like this drive to be the exact opposite of one of our parents, which a lot of times either we overly correct Mm-hmm. and go to another extreme, maybe instead of being abandoning, we're smothering. Mm-hmm. Or we actually cast into the shadow or can't acknowledge some of the ways that we might be similar. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of ways in which the child in us informs who we become as a parent. Like, you know, being in relationship with my partner's children there were things that would come up throughout the day or in the household that would make me angry or that I would experience anger. Not saying it's making me, like they're the cause of it, but I'm experiencing anger in relationship to something that they're saying or doing or not doing. And I realized that expressing my anger is one of the hardest things for me to do. And the reason for that was as a child, I was always afraid of my dad's anger. Mm. My dad's anger usually felt unsafe because it would be, you know, raised volume. It would be, you know, glass breaking, like things being thrown, household items breaking. So I associated anger with unsafety and violence. So now being in a parenting role, There's a part of me that says, I never want to put a child in that position that I felt like I was in, in relationship to my dad's anger. So what do I do is I disconnect from that part of me. I suppress my anger, but that results in me then shutting down, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can't suppress an emotion and still stay connected fully. Yeah. Right? So a lot of my development as a parent or caretaker is learning how to be in relationship with the anger that scared me as a child. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of different ways in which, you know, that could show up now with the magical or I'm sorry, nature child. Um, you obviously are going to want to introduce your children to the natural world, mm-hmm. to living in harmony with nature, to being very grounded. Um, and you're also always going to want to instill the importance of your children staying connected to their authenticity. 
mm-hmm. to their natural state of being. Right. The deeper aspect of the nature child is your natural state, your mm-hmm. original or true nature. Right. So I think as a mother, it's really nurturing that. It's how can you really nurture whatever your child's original nature is, mm. what their natural state of being is, and just paying attention to any way that you try and make them otherwise. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, the nature child's probably the least common that people pick. Mm. So I've never really explored how that would translate into motherhood, but it's just what I would just make up on the spot. Yeah, no, I love it. I, it felt, it felt resonant and it's definitely something that, you know, I can see that, you know, um, almost like acting as a guide rather than than a parent that's like telling your kid what to do what not to do what you should like what you shouldn't like things you should be interested in and it's it it really is reflective of conversations that we've already had talking about like you know we were athletes growing up we played many different sports and that's you know where we also like fell in love is on the the bus on the basketball bus. And it's something that's so bonding for us. Competition. We love that. We're both athletes. Achievement. Achievement yeah. and and strength. You know, it's it's fun for us. And so we've talked about like, you know, it would be kind of weird if our if our kid doesn't end up liking sports or you know, isn't into athletics or anything like that. It would just be like something that we have the opportunity to like accept and just like mm-hmm. let them blossom in their own way. And we've talked about like, you know, what sports would we want to put them into? And it's like, you kind of need to wait for their interest. And and there can be some guiding from parents, but making sure that it's balanced and that it's like a relationship and that it's not like you're going to do this soccer practice at five. Like it has to be. And uh, that's just obviously an example where it's like I played basketball 11 months out of the year for like 10 years of my life and I completely burned out. And, but if my child has this natural draw to a sport like yeah. basketball, um, it'll be a, a, a opportunity for me to work through my own shit. Yeah. Cause it'll be like, okay, well, I've got some baggage here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in this, I'm going to need to work through this. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so many, so yeah. many good nuggets. This is just such a powerful exercise and a powerful tool to go through. And and I love the way that you've organized this course and this program mm-hmm. um, because I know people will be interested. A little bit of details, logistics on how you yeah. can get access to the course, how people can jump in. Um, what are the, the, you know, general logistics of how this, how this works? Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited to share this course with probably more excited for this course than any course or offering I've ever shared. Wow. And the reason for that is, you know, obviously I've been very passionate about these archetypes, but really the essence of me studying these archetypes and learning from them has been really using my life as my own curriculum. Mm. So this course really just was me pouring my heart out to this is what I've experienced. And this is what I know to be true about all these different patterns and these contracts and these archetypes. And so it just felt like the most authentic offering that I've ever put forth. 
And the way I structured the course was there's seven archetypes which we laid out that I take you through pretty systematically in the course where each archetype has four sections to it. There's the introduction where we explore all the light and shadow aspects of the archetype and how it shows up in your life. Then I take you through a meditation where you really get to know that archetype and you learn how to cultivate a relationship with it inside of you. Then I take you through an EFT practice and an energetic clearing where we clear a lot of the old stagnant energy and a lot of the old contracts that we're wanting to kind of like renegotiate and upgrade. So I take you through it kind of like in real time energetically. And we use tapping different visualization techniques and a lot of other kind of like cool tools to be able to do that. And then in the last piece for each archetype, then we do some integration work, mm. which might involve some journaling, some inner work, and just really integrating what's come up in the exploration, the meditation and the energetic clearing. So each archetype, I take you through those four phases. And so it's really structured beautifully where as you're going through the course, it's the healing's happening in real time. Mm. So like, yes, you're going to go and do your own exploration and your own journaling practice and your own self-reflection. But with the meditations and the tapping and the energetic work, like the healing's already taking place just by going through it. You know, and I even film some of the meditations and EFTs and energetic clearings. And initially I had scripted some of them and recorded them and then went to have all the videos edited. And when they came back, I was like, nope, you have to redo all of them. And the reason was because I knew I couldn't do it scripted. It wasn't really coming from the most authentic place inside wow. of me. So I literally refilmed <laughs> almost every meditation or energetic clearing practice because it had to just like hit the spot where I could feel it in real time, the shift happening and nothing was like kind of like pre-scripted or anything. Mm. So I just had to make sure that it was like dialed in exactly how it was meant to be, which is why I'm so excited to now like share the finished product. That is so um, cool and so rare. Yeah. Very, very unique. Um, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Props to you. That's so cool. And it's going to be felt. It's going to be felt by every participant that that goes through your course is it it's going to be felt in their body even if they don't hear this conversation and know that you did that it's going to feel different landing with them and that's really really cool yeah and when it was scripted it was like seven or eight takes per video when it was unscripted every video was the first take <laughs> and of course i realized that one of the biggest sources of self-sabotage with a lot of like course creation content creation podcasting is actually over preparing. Yeah. Man, so true. That's great for both of us to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. when you over prepare, you lose the authenticity and spontaneity of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a big thing for like content creators out there. Yeah. Um, so the website, it's healing4d.com forward slash HCA, which is healing your core archetypes, HCA. But you guys will have your link in the show notes. Mm hmm which I recommend people use your guys' link. And then I think we have a 20% discount for the listeners. Um, it's 
I think it's medicine 20. I'll double check on the coupon code, but we'll have all of that in the show notes. So um, they can just use the link there. Perfect. And if you could, you know, put on a billboard or an elevator pitch, what you want every student or participant of these, of this course to come out of with, what would that be the new skill or piece of wisdom or, or insight or, you know what I'm asking? Like, what is that thing that you hope everyone comes out of with? What I hope everyone comes out of this program with is really a reconnection to their true nature. And you realize that all of these archetypal dynamics that cause us to sabotage ourselves, to prostitute ourselves, is really a reflection of how much we've lost the permission slip to be our authentic self. So I hope it's an opportunity for people to feel more free and empowered to be themselves and to experience themselves in their own reality and not see themselves as the character that other people project them to be Mm. in their reality. So I think that's really what my, my dream is for each participant or student of the course. Mm. It's a a beautiful dream. Not only have I enjoyed these conversations as some of the best of our three and a half, almost four years of podcasting, but specifically exploring archetypes, this work, having cast our wheel, going through these core archetypes at length have significantly materially added to my life, added to my, like you said, my relationship with self. Um, it's strengthened our relationship. Yep. It's added fun and play into mm-hmm. the dynamic of our relationship because we both dork out about this kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's It's improved my livelihood and my ability to step out and penetrate the world in what I do. And of course, has has given back and then some by doing that authentically in the form of money and freedom and happiness and satiation and fulfillment and purpose. And so this is, we talk about the fact that we live in a world of downstream flooding. These are issues that are so downstream due to upstream problems. And rarely are we addressing upstream problems in our culture. We're addressing these downstream floods, which only ever fix the symptom. This is an upstream solution. And um, I'm just so excited that you're doing this. This is your sweet spot. And it's Mm -hmm. just been an absolute gift to us to be a little bit a part of it. Yeah, it's been so fun. Thank you so much, Greg, for for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. You know, we are we're receiving this just right alongside the listeners, and um, we're just we're grateful to have you as a, a teacher, an archetype teacher, and a friend, and just to see you work in the world is is a is a real gift. So, thank you. And thank you guys for it's always it's such a joy to connect with you both. You know, whenever I have an opportunity to connect with you guys, I always get excited. Yeah. 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 So, you, thank you. If we haven't said it yet uh, to you, you have open invite yeah. to the medicine anytime that you feel like, hey, guys, I kind of want to talk about this. I know you have your own show, of course, but um, you open invite, you know, swinging door. You you are, are welcome anytime. 
Thank you. It's it's an honor. Okay, we can't leave before we ask you the last question on every episode. Mm-hmm. Greg, you know the medicine is all about exploring these medicines that help us to form deeper conscious relationships in every aspect of our life. What for you currently feels like medicine? Hmm. I'm going to give a paradoxical answer. <laughs> of <Great>. course. <laughs> um, my, my pain feels like my medicine. Mm. And what I mean by that is what has felt so medicinal recently is just my willingness to feel. Mm. My willingness to feel discomfort, my willingness to feel vulnerable, my willingness to feel pain that I've spent so long trying to avoid feeling. So I think my pain is actually my medicine. Mm. And when I say that, I don't mean like my back pain or it's just the things I've been trying to avoid feeling. Mm. Like those have been the gifts of healing that I think have cracked the shell open for me. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's a weird answer. I love that. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I feel that for sure. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you guys for listening and hanging out with us today. Check the show notes for all the links and discounts. I promise you this is work, self-development that you will absolutely see the benefit of regular regularly in your life just like chase and i have i i cannot wait to go through this course all the way with chase and uh yeah just check the show notes and we'll talk to you next time go spread some light okay bye hey friend thanks for listening did you hear anything today that expanded your mind made you laugh touched your soul or caused you to think differently about this topic I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.